Good morning, everybody. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, because I didn't introduce myself, just like, who's this guy that just jumped up there? Uh, my name is Dana. I'm, I'm looking around. If there's anybody I don't know, I'm not sure there is. Thank you, Ken. Thank you very much. I'm going to need this later. I'm going to exhaust myself up here. No, thanks, Ken. No, it wasn't too soon. So, yeah, speaking of, uh, you know, people just filling in or whatever, I mean, I'm, I'm teaching the fifth and sixth graders right now in Sunday school, and I was supposed to be out there with my class, and, uh, and um, Ben's one of my kids, and I love Ben. He's awesome. We had a great time. And uh, Pete stepped up and said, I'll take a class. So Pete's out there with him right now. So, yeah, just, a, just another example of all those little things so that nobody's left out, you know, nobody falls behind. It's just, yeah, it's just awesome to be a part of this church and, and to be with you guys. And I know Kevin, um, Kevin wants to be here so bad. He wants to be here so bad. In fact, he even said, he goes, maybe if you know, I can get Cleo stable, I can come or whatever. And we're just like, you just, you just need to be with your wife right now. You just need to be her husband. And uh, yeah, so it's awesome. So it's great for him to know that, uh, again, this isn't just a bunch of leaderless people that wander in here and would sit slack jawed if nobody were up here doing anything. Yeah. And that's what I appreciate about you guys and about this church. Pretty awesome. Um, so, yeah, so Kevin told me about 9 o'clock last night, said, uh, I'm going to take you up on your offer of stepping in for me anytime I need it. Would you step in tomorrow? I said, yeah, I could do that, I think. Um, and, you know, and again, the reason I say that is not like to be, oh, yeah, I'm so awesome. I've got all this stuff going on or whatever. But what I've got going on is the stuff that's going on inside of me. We all have that, right? We have the stuff that we're ruminating on that God is doing, that God is revealing to us. And so, you know, a message is nothing, for me, is nothing more than, here's some stuff God's showing me. You know, here's what I'm working through. And, you know, somebody might be sitting there and go, oh, it's interesting to get that angle. Somebody else might be sitting there and going, holy mackerel, that's where I'm at right now. Um, and wherever that may be, I just hope that, you know, whatever I have to share today um, is going to be something for you as well. Um, so God, I told Toby Caps this morning, Toby and I haven't sat together in church for over a year. That was like the most special thing ever when he and Janari popped down next to me. That was so cool. And uh, I just said, thank God for the CDC. You know, I, had, I did Moderna, so all done, and a lot of you guys have too. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's so good to be seeing some things open up. What I'm looking forward to is like being able to go out and eat. We've gone, you know, a few times when you can eat outside and mostly takeout though and stuff, and we've mostly just been eating at home. And so Grace, you know, did dinner last night. She goes, somebody needs to spoil mom tomorrow night, meaning tonight. And so I said, you know what? We could actually like go to a restaurant and eat. And so I think we're going to do that tonight, which would be kind of special. Um, one of my favorite restaurants is Outback. Does anybody like Outback? You're looking at me, Outback Steakhouse? Oh, you're looking at me like you don't even know what I'm talking about. Okay. Oh, so yes, Outback Steakhouse. And the thing I love about Outback Steakhouse, the steaks are good, you know, and the sides are good and whatever. In fact, the last time I was at Outback Steakhouse, one of our former youth group girls was our waitress. And she walked over and she says, I'm, it's Kelly. And that was just kind of one of those really cool little happenings. But one of the things I really love about Outback Steakhouse is the Bloomin' Onion. Has anybody had the Bloomin' Onion? And that dipping sauce that they give you and... Yeah, a lot of times, like, and then your steak comes, you know, like, why did I get the blooming onion? Because now I'm just going to put the steak in the doggy bag and bring it home. Um, but yeah, the blooming onion. And the great thing about the blooming onion is it's eternal. It, it never seems there's, there's a, you could probably do a whole sermon on the blooming onion. It, 
Because the more you peel it back, the more there is. It just, I think it comes up through the table and just, you know, it just, it, and it just keeps coming, coming. So you peel that blooming onion back. And uh, yeah, I love the Outback Bloomin' Onion. And I think about the Bloomin' Onion as a metaphor uh, for our walk with Christ. We're never done. In fact, the worst thing we can ever do is think we're done. And I've talked about that before. First thing we can ever do is put God in a nice little box and tie a ribbon around it and go, it's all figured out now, because the first thing Jesus will do will kick the side out of that box, because God won't be boxed up, amen? So walking with, walking with Christ, and it's this constant, um, I call it maturity. It's this constant maturity in Christ, constantly taking us deeper, showing us more. And I never appreciate that more than when I'm uh, exposed to a scripture, and either usually it happens when somebody else is teaching, right? And somebody takes a scripture that I know, and I've heard it a million times, heard sermons, read it, blah, 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 and somebody puts a whole new twist on it, and it just blows your mind because you think, I never thought about it that way before. I think about my, like, zero point when I became a Christian. I was 18 when I accepted Christ. And I have to say this, when I accepted Christ, I wasn't at zero. I was at minus. And the reason I say that is because I grew up in church. So I thought I knew stuff. Uh, I grew up in a very, I won't tell you the denomination, but it was very uh, formal and a lot of liturgy and, you know, open to page 24 in the red book and then open to page 32 and confess your sins and read this. And that's kind of like what it was. And you were considered an adult in the church when you were in ninth grade, but there's something you had to go through confirmation. Anybody here ever go through confirmation? You know what I'm talking about, right? And so to be an adult in the church, and then suddenly, I don't know if that meant you were saved or not, but suddenly you could take communion. Before that, you couldn't take communion. And after you were confirmed, you could take communion. And so um, I remember we had to memorize the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed, and we had to recite them for the pastor. And, you know, if you could do that, you know, congratulations, you're now whatever, and here's your bread and wine, and you're an adult in the church. And so that was kind of my orientation. And uh, in fact, I was even thinking about it. I thought, I wonder if I can still do the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again, according to the Scripture, and ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. <laughs> and you know what? I didn't know what any of it meant. You forgot the Acts of Contrition. Well, we didn't have that. Well, it was probably maybe a little bit of a different church, but we didn't have that one. But, yeah, I won't tell you what church I went to. Lutheran! <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Sorry. Yeah, it was just a little more formal. Um, and, yeah, so, but I knew, I knew very little of what those words meant. You know, I knew the Bible stories, and I'd gone to Sunday school and whatever, but a personal Savior that was involved in my life knew me wanted to know me, had a purpose for me. Um, God just seemed really far away and super formal, and that was kind of my orientation to who he was. And uh, when I was in um, high school, my senior year of high school, I had a great basketball coach named Dave O'Connor, who was a Christian, and Dave invited a bunch of teenagers. This was 1976. Dave invited a bunch of teenagers over to his house for Bible study. And uh, we'd have 35 
kids in Dave's house on a Thursday night. It was always Thursday nights. And um, I began to understand that this was a relationship. And, uh, and I tell you what, Christ was after me. I mean, he was after me because I was hearing what I knew was truth, but I was living a life that was very opposite from that. In fact, I'll just confess, uh, the first time I went to Bible study is because that's where a lot of the cute girls were. So like me and my buddies, we went to Bible study. That's every cute girl. I met my wife at Bible study, and that Bible study, believe it or not. Uh, so the cute girls were there. Um, but as the onion began to get peeled back, every time Dave would, would, would speak, um, I began to see that what I had thought was church and reli- was, was religion, in fact, needed to be a relationship. It needed to be a relationship with him. And that maturity process um, began to grow, and I began to discover things about, about Christ. And that process has never stopped, that, that process of revealing. I can remember being in that Bible study. In fact, it was just to come full circle, several years after um, I accepted Christ, I ended up leading that Bible study for about five years. After Dave moved on and he took, a, he took another um, a job at another school, and I always just praise God for Dave because Dave was the guy that brought me to Christ. But I actually stepped in and led that Bible study for about five years. And yeah, just incredible the way that onion, you know, kind of tends to unfold. But I remember sitting in that Bible study and, and uh, beginning to understand what it was to be a Christian. And I'd always known and still kind of knew that there was a lot of do's and don'ts. More don'ts than do's, right? And if you just could line up the don'ts, that was my thinking. If you just could line up the don'ts, you were probably okay. And um, then I remember Dave teaching on this subject of the sins of commission and the sins of what? Omission. Dun, dun, dun. Because, <laughs> you know, my attitude was, you know, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. I'm a good Christian boy. It's the things you don't do. And suddenly Dave was talking about it's not just the things you do that can displease God. It's the things you fail to do. Sins of omission, when I'm called to speak up, when I'm called to step in, when I'm called to be something in somebody's life, when I'm called to help, when I'm called to whatever that may be, and when God puts that call on my life and I fail to answer it, that sin of omission, that I didn't do the thing that I should have. And I thought, holy smokes, man, now I'm not only accountable for the stuff I do, now I'm accountable for the stuff I don't do. But what a step of maturity. I still remember that to this day. I was like mind blown. Literally, like, man, this is, this is more complicated than I thought, but in a really good way, but in a really good way. And so I began to, it caused me to really want to dive into the scriptures and what, who am I in God and who is, and more importantly, who is God in me and how does this relationship work? And I remember that so, uh, so, so clearly. Another piece of scripture that I remember, and this was actually I'm embarrassed to say a realization that happened fairly recently was over one of the parables. And, you know, I'm the parable guy, right? Um, But it was uh, over the parable of the sower. You know, the sower's out in the field. Jesus tells the story, and the sower is casting, S-O-W-E-R. And the sower is casting seed, and the seed is landing on different kinds of soil. And then Jesus goes on to explain that the the seed is, you know, is the word of God, and that soil is the soil of our hearts. And it describes, you know, soil that hits the well-walked path, which is hard, and the seeds just sort of bounce around. 
and they don't penetrate, and the birds come and steal them, and it has no chance to take root. Or it does take root, but it's very shallow um, and doesn't really penetrate, and it kind of grows this weak little shoot, and then as soon as the sun comes out, it, with any kind of a heat, it withers that plant away. That faith never really has a chance to take root, or it lands in soil that's full of weeds and vines and sticker bushes and whatever, that there's stuff in there that, um, that the sower, the gardener, needs to remove before that seed can really um, become what it needs to be. And then there's the good soil, the soil that's been prepared to receive this, the seed, the soil that's been plowed. And I looked back and realized that that's what God was doing in my life that whole time going to that Bible study was I resisted it for a long time. I went to that Bible study for months before I actually made that decision to accept Christ. And I will tell you, when I accepted Christ, I didn't really even know what I did. I just knew I needed to take that step towards him because what I was hearing was truth and what I was hearing was just gnawing on my conscience. And I knew I was living life in a way that I didn't want to live it, but I didn't know any other way. And then suddenly this different way was shown to me, and I wanted that, and I took that step. And so the soil of my heart, that was a season of having the soil of my heart prepared and plowed to receive the seed. But here's the mistake I made in looking at the parable of the sower. What I thought was that that parable was about salvation, right? That the, that the word of God, the salvation, the invitation to know God and to know who he is was being cast. And I was that hard ground, you know, at one time where it just bounced off. Or I was the one with all the weeds where, you know, uh, as soon as it would land in there, something would choke it out. But finally, you know, the ground was sufficiently plowed and prepared and a seed fell on good ground and it grew in me and I became a Christian. Amen. Parable done. Yeah, check, check the box. That box is checked, done. And then I heard somebody teach on the parable of the sower. And they talked about how God is casting that seed every day, many times a day. And what is the condition of the soil of my heart? Mind blown. It was like, oh my gosh, you mean that just wasn't a one and done? That's what I thought it was. And it's like, no, that seed is being cast constantly. And so that condition of the soil of my heart is the soil of my heart in a place to receive what God is doing right now in this moment. You know, if, if Jesus will do anything, he'll do a new thing. Amen? Amen? I've come to make all things new. And so that seed, that seed of a new, of a new crop, a new harvest, is constantly being cast into our lives. And I remember when I heard that, it was just... It was so special because how many times have you heard the parable of the sower? A million times. But suddenly the parable of the sower came alive for me in a whole different way where that casting of the seed was daily. And my attention to the soil of my heart needed to be daily as well. And what an enrichment. And the blooming onion <laughs> was peeled a little bit more. There's one in particular that I want to really talk about and cover today. So that's just some examples I just want to give you. You guys probably have your own, too, where, again, there were things that maybe you assumed when you were a younger Christian, and then suddenly something was revealed to you. But the one that I want to talk about is kind of a more recent one um, for me, and it is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Anybody know what that chapter is called? The love. the love. It's like the love boat or the love connection. <laughs> Uh, the love chapter. Yeah, the love chapter. I'm going to read it. 
I'm going to read it. You can turn with me if you want to there as well. Chapter 13. And this is what I love about this. The very first line in this, we sort of don't hear this very often. It sort of gets passed over, and then we get into the meat of the love chapter. But here's what Paul says. And now I will show you the most excellent way. I think that's probably a line we probably ought to read all the time. If Paul's telling us, I am, he's not saying, I'm going to show you an excellent way. He says, I'm going to show you the excellent way. That's probably something I ought to pay attention to. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I am just making noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Wow. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they're going to cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. This is exactly what I was talking about, right? When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall be fully known, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. I think for me, I'll just say for me, this chapter and Psalm 23 are the most beautiful passages in the Bible. I appreciate a good poem. Jody, amen. Jody, you appreciate a good poem? Yeah. So I just appreciate the language of this chapter. Um, and I think for me, again, this in Psalm 23, if you said, you know, you can only have two little squares of your Bible to take you through, you know, the rest of your life, I'd probably pick these two. I think they've they would, they're very sustaining. So let's talk about the, you know, the love chapter. Um, where is the place and what is the time where we are most likely to hear a portion of that chapter read? A wedding. Everybody says the same thing, a wedding. And so, again, for me as the young Christian going to weddings, Grace and I had this read at our own wedding. This was one of the scriptures that was read at our wedding. And so for me in thinking about this, this was, you know, the love between a man and woman. And so when you think love is patient, love is kind, this is the, the spouse. This is the person you're going to spend your life with. Of course, these are the things you're going to want to do and offer to each other in order to bring this life together and to make this marriage work. So, yes, absolutely. But that was my sole context for this. And then suddenly, um, I read in my Bible that God says, love your enemies. And did you know that that word is the same word? <laughs> that'll peel your onion real good. Um, I looked up a couple of verses, Matthew 5, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's uh, Matthew 5, 44. In Matthew 5, 46, 
He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Jesus picked like the worst example he could. You know, the, poor Matthew, it's in the book of Matthew. You know, Matthew, you know, Matthew Levi, the old tax collector. Uh, I wonder if that was a little something special for Matthew. But uh, yeah, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That same love, if I read that description and now I have to apply it to my enemies, wow, boy, that'll peel your onion. That'll peel your onion really good. And if you just confine your love to those who love you, your wife, your spouse, your family, your good friends, whatever, Jesus says, what profit is there in that? Even the most evil. You know, the, he picked the tax collector because in their society, that was the most despised individual. Tax collectors collected taxes for Rome. Now, that was one count against them. Number two, tax collectors were often rich because they cheated. Because they cheated the people they were collecting taxes from. So Jesus said, even the most despised people in our society can love who love them. It's not a big deal. You want to show that the Spirit of God is alive in you? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And Jesus ultimately proved that in the ultimate place on the cross when he said, Father, don't count this against them. Those that were crucifying him, those that they know not what they do. And he prayed for their forgiveness. Man, the, you know, Jesus wasn't a do as I say, not as I do guy. Um, that really blew my mind. You know, recently I, uh, I read a book. So, so, you know, the love chapter kind of goes from this thing of, of, you know, my wife and at the wedding, it's like, oh, okay, my friends and those that I know and my, you know, body at church, and oh, now it's actually my enemies. So that's okay. That moves the walls out a little bit. Um, I was asked recently by um, Rich Stearns. Rich Stearns is the former president of World Vision. I served under Rich for, oh gosh, 20 years that Rich was president there. I was there the entire time, and I got to know him fairly well. And so Rich just has a brand new book out. He just wrote it. It's called uh, Lead Like It Matters to God, and it's a book that's written for Christian business, uh, excuse me, for business leaders who are Christians, not Christian business leaders, not those that are in ministry. Obviously, if you're in ministry, like I gave a copy to Kevin, you can def definitely read it and glean out of it, but it's really more aimed for those of us who might be Christians who are working in a secular environment. And can we bring our faith, you know, and again, because as we all know, that's a touchy thing in a secular environment. So how do we navigate that? And so Rich has these tips and ideas for how you can do that. And it was really, it was, I would say this, I'd say nothing in the book like blew my mind, like, man, I never thought about that before, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was all really good, solid stuff, except for one thing. Rich said that as a leader, wherever you are, you're called to love your employees. Now, in most business schools, and if you've been there, what are you taught? You maintain distance from your employees. That familiarity breeds contempt because, after all, you may have to discipline that person. You may have to fire that person. So you need to keep this sense of separation from the people that you lead. But what Rich said was you need to love your employees. And he said before you get you know, too revved up about what that means and how would I do that, he goes, here's what I want you to do. He goes, think of yourself as a leader in your environment, and I want you to read 1 Corinthians 13, and instead of the word love, I want you to insert the word I as a leader. So let me read it that way. I'm a leader, in my, and I have people that report to me. Here's what I'm called to do. I am patient. I am kind. I don't envy. 
I don't boast. I'm not proud. I'm not rude. I'm not self-seeking. I'm not easily angered. I keep no record of wrongs. I do not delight in evil, but I rejoice with the truth. I always protect. I always trust. I always hope. And I always persevere. That was the part of the book that... And I, and I just thought to myself, can you imagine if every leader you know, had this on the wall of their office? That's what I thought. I said, man, that should be printed out that way and should hang on the wall of every leader in business. You can love your employees. As long as, again, what were the guidelines that we're using for that is out of here. And I would just say, whether you're a manager or not or whatever, it's powerful to read that and put the word I in there. And then ask those questions. Am I? <laughs> am I kind? You know, maybe even put the word am in front of that and allow God to reveal to you where are those places where God is working through you and where are those places that we might need, you know, to do a little bit better. But I love that. I just thought, man, if every, if every Christian leader could lead their people in that way, what an awesome environment, the work environment would be if that were the attitude of the leader because, you know, the leader will set the tone for what happens in that, in that workspace. I remember one of the greatest compliments I ever got, Toby knows them well, I had some, at the close of my career, I had some just awesome, it was all women, it was all young ladies in their 20s that worked for me, and it was just an honor to lead them. And uh, I'll never forget when one of them, Nicole, told me, she goes, you're my work dad. <laughs> she goes, you're my work dad. She goes, because I can go to you, I can get advice, you tell me when you think something needs to change, but you always tell me in love. I know that even when you correct me, you love me, and you want what's good for me. And she goes, you're my work, Dad. And I think that's the best compliment I ever got uh, in all my years of working, to be a work dad. Now, again, most of the you know, business schools will tell you that's not what you want to do. Um, I prefer the lesson out of, out of this textbook. Um, so let me give you one more. Let me give you one more out of the love chapter. And this one, I really have to, uh, she's not here this morning, but I really have to give uh, kudos and credit uh, to Katie Fifley. A lot of you guys know Katie. Katie goes here. She works on Sunday, so she's not here, but she's here serving uh, the wildfire kids. And Katie's just an awesome young lady. Katie's very shy. Katie does not like to get up in front of people and, you know, be the person in charge or whatever. But last year, we took the kids camping. We went, to, um, we went to Rimrock Lake, and we asked each of the leaders that were there each night we wanted to do just a quick, a, a quick devotional for the kids to kind of set the tone for our campfire time. And uh, everybody was asked to do it, asked <laughs> to do it. And Katie, to her credit, said, I'll, you know, I'll do one. And so it was Katie's night, and Katie read... 1 Corinthians 13, um, and then what she said blew my mind because I'd never thought of it before. She says, this is what I have to offer to myself. I have to love myself. I have to learn to love myself. Now, those words, love myself, to some people may like, go, oh, yeah, okay, but to some, that's a hard thing. And I know she wouldn't mind me saying it. For Katie, that's a struggle. I know it is because we've had some great talks about that. The, what it means to love yourself and to offer this agape love to yourself. And I'll never forget when she did that. I went to her afterwards and I said, Katie, this is one of those moments where somebody just read a scripture I've heard a jillion times and I've never, ever thought about it that way, that this is something we're supposed to offer to ourselves. But you know what? It makes complete sense because 
we can't give to somebody else what we don't have. If that love's not dwelling in us, how in the world do we expect to offer it to somebody else? So it is incredibly important for us to love ourselves through the love of Christ and be what Christ would have us be. So I, I wrote a few things down, just basically kind of taking that same format, things that I would want to say to myself, things that I, I feel like I need to say to myself in order to be in that position where I have something to give away. Dana, be patient with yourself. Be kind to yourself. Don't envy what you perceive you aren't. Don't boast. Allow the Lord to be the lifter. You don't have to lift yourself. Allow the Lord to be the lifter. Find your pride in who you are in Christ. The Apostle Paul said, if I boast in anything, I boast in who I am in Christ. Be gentle with yourself. Focus on others. Don't be self-seeking. You know, one of the things I would say to you is if, and I've given this advice to a lot of people over there, is if you find yourself in a spiritual rut, and that happens sometimes, you just feel a little bit stuck, if you want to get out of that rut, go volunteer somewhere. Amen, Cindy? Go volunteer somewhere and give away some life and see if that doesn't change the perspective of how you view what's going on in your life. Give, don't be self See, because what happens in our society sometimes is we go way inside, right? And instead of that, we might want to go outward and basically say, I'm going to give away a little bit of life. And it's one of those oxymorons of, of faith. The more I, life I give away, the more life I receive. I love the oxymorons of the faith. The more I give away, the more I'm going to receive. Don't get angry with yourself. Don't keep a list of your failures. We're pretty good at that, aren't we? You know, our enemy wants our arms full of our failures. Because when God calls us to do something, he wants us, we can't do it because our arms are full. Don't keep a list of your failures. God doesn't. Don't keep a list of your failures. Focus on the truth of who God says you are. Protect your heart. Man, I tell this to our teenage kids all the time. Protect your heart. Protect your heart. Trust in what God has planned for you. Know that his mercies for you are new every day. And finally, hang in there. Persevere. Hang in there. Can I read you guys a story? I, uh, after Katie did this devotional, it really inspired me, and we, we had a few conversations afterwards, and I told her, I said, um, I would really love to write something, write one of my parables that kind of illustrates that point, because I think it's such an important point. And so this is really dedicated. I told Katie this is dedicated to her. This is, this is her inspired story. Um, this story is called, so again, the idea of this is, is we cannot give away what we ourselves don't have. Amen? So this story is called The Milkmaid and the Musician. Once there was a country girl, well known throughout the land, managing a herd of cows and little roadside stand. She would milk her lovely girls up early with the sun, then sell her wares to passers-by until the day was done. Everybody loved her milk. They came from near and far just to fill a jug, container, bottle, pail, or jar. It wasn't simply taste alone that brought her patrons nigh. It was also the good health they found when e'er her milk they'd try. So business boomed along the road, and life seemed good and strong. 
But something was about to go quite definitely wrong. She had so many customers who'd come to taste and pay that never was there milk for her at ending of the day. She tried to rectify this trend by purchasing more cows, rising even earlier to get a jump somehow. But she found the more she worked, the more that she produced, the more her clients' appetites were raised and not reduced. The situation spiraled. Every day was just a blur as all the milk went through the stand with nothing left for her. Laboring from dark to dark began to take its toll, feeling like a prisoner with no chance of parole. Sleep was spare and fleeting on this constant carousel with meals reduced to crackers and some water from the well. Standing by the pond one day, she gazed at her reflection, startled by her hair, her face, her posture, her complexion. Where once good health, vitality, and loveliness had flourished, now she saw a stranger there, exhausted and malnourished. She sat down on a rock and put her chin into her hands, destitute the stamina her circumstance demands. And as those hopeless feelings sought to wrap her in defeat, she heard somebody singing, quite melodious and sweet. Coming up the dusty road, advancing round a bend, she saw a man was crooning while he played his mandolin. His song was bright and joyful as it carried on the breeze, sung as if to charm the sun, the butterflies and bees. Strolling where the roadway passes, right beside the pond, he saw the country girl, and with a smile, he stopped his song. Good day to you, my lady. It's a fine one. Yes, indeed. Pardon if I seek some information that I need. I'm looking for the dairy stand that services this region. Tis famous for its milk, and its admirers are legion. Hearing these accolades, I thought that I should visit. Do you know the place, and can you tell me just where is it? A look of sheer exhaustion punctuated her reply. The stand is not now open. All the milk cans, they are dry. But if you'll come with me, I'll try to service you somehow and coax a little from an over-liquidated cow. <laughs> Marvelous, he answered with a knowing repartee. Perhaps we can enjoy some conversation on the way. Off they walked together, crossed the pasture toward the shed, and as they did, he asked her all about the life she led. She told him of her love for cows and also for her clients, how she strived to meet their needs and struggled with compliance. Everyone needs more and more. Authentic is their thirst. I feel it is my duty to provide milk to them first. And there is my dilemma. It's the overwhelming key that what I offer them, I just can't seem to offer me. Well, soon they reached the milking shed. She mopped her shining brow, then slid a wooden stool beside a quite reluctant cow. And as her tired fingers worked to wet a pail of oak, the man looked on in empathy and kindness as he spoke. Reminds me of my music. All the land from hill to bay sought me out for hire to hear me sing and watch me play. At first, it was delightful. And the music flowed and flowed, 
but soon the crowd's demands became a stiff and heavy load. The joy had left my singing, turned me bitter and uncertain. What started as a blessing had dissolved into a burden. The girl had stopped her milking, looked awakened, yet subdued. Affected, she inquired, pray, good sir, what did you do? He smiled and strummed his mandolin. When I was at my worst, I realized the music must revitalize me first. For if I'm not rekindled and inspired before I play, I can't hope to have a worthy thing to give away. And so I start each morning with a song just for my Lord. I ask him to inhabit every melody and chord. I sing each starry evening, give my weary soul a lift, not for applause or payment, just to celebrate the gift. It's funny, since I take the time to serenade my core, I give more lovely music than I ever did before. Frozen was the moment as his words hung in the air. She felt a gentle dawning at the edge of her despair. Haltingly, the girl arose, the pail held in her hands. She ambles to a cupboard where the young musician stands, drawn from its interior a simple pewter cup. She pours the contents from the pail and quickly fills it up. Offered now, the young man says, My dear, you misconstrue. My Lord's profound desire is that this drink is for you. For blessed is the harvest that you issue from your hands. But more than that, he urges that you fully understand. The bounty he's entrusted to your custody and care must be a part of your life to enable you to share. For only when the gifts he gives are thoroughly our own can we hope to offer them and make their goodness known. Struck as if by lightning does the truth invade her heart like the early brushstrokes of a priceless work of art. Smiling, the musician nods his head a subtle dip as laughingly she brings that pewter vessel to her lips. And what, pray, is our dividend, the treasure from this tale, the life-affirming lesson from a lowly oaken pail? It's simply this. If we're to love our neighbors near and far, that love must be within the man or woman that we are. Not withheld, denied, whenever self-esteem is dim, but given to ourselves because that's how we offer him. Read again what love is. Bind it deep within your cores, and you'll have much to give away because that love is yours. And what of our musician who unveiled this very thing? Well, listen for his voice for he has many songs to sing. Amen, amen, huh? So let's take that to heart and recognize that we can only give away what we have inside, amen? amen. That verse in 1 Corinthians, that most, one of the most beautiful verses in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, was for you. Um, God wants us to give that away. That is the love that he wants us to show to others in our lives, whether we're a boss, a husband, a friend, or an opponent. That's the love that he wants us to show to each other. But we can only do that when we have it inside of us. Amen? Amen. And the more we give away and the more we seek it, the more we'll receive.
That's one of those wonderful, wonderful oxymorons of being a Christian. The more you give, the more you receive. Amen? Amen. So, Lord, we just thank you for this morning. Thank you for the beautiful sunshine outside that, re- that reminds us that your mercies are new every day, that you have incredible love for us. God, keep peeling our onion. Don't ever stop. Um, we just want to go deeper and deeper and deeper in our knowledge of you because we know that that's where joy resides. God, bless our pastor this morning and bless Cleo. Be with them again. Don't let us forget to continue to lift them up in prayer. And we think about the doctor's appointment that they have tomorrow. God, may you be with them however you choose to be amazing in that situation, whether that's through medicine or whether through your own hand or whether through the the patience that they are called to have together, whatever that may be, God, be amazing for them. And we know that there are some prayers that you will always answer yes, and that's one. God, be amazing for them, and we know that your answer is yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. amen. All right, everybody. Woohoo! Have a wonderful week.